Welcome back to Piper Sandler's Global Exchange and Financial, Financial Technology Conference. Uh, we've been through uh, several exchanges this morning, and it's my pleasure to have a panel of private exchanges and liquidity pools here uh, coming up here now. So, uh, you know, each brings innovation and brings uh, a, a new way to think about the markets or uh, uh, disruptive, so to speak. Uh, so it's my pleasure to have uh, from LiquidNet, the uh, CEO, Brian Conroy, Conroy sorry, Brian, uh, from the long-term stock, long-term stock exchange, Zoran Perkoff, uh, and from the members exchange, Jonathan Kellner. We've had some technical issues uh, with uh, Miami, with Myax, uh, so Tom Galler, unfortunately, won't be uh, joining us. Uh, so with that, first, thank you all for participating, and I guess, the very first question is, you know, there's all talk about how much volume and how many platforms are out there. So uh, what new innovation or what do you bring, uh, you know, to the markets with your platform? If you can differentiate your platform uh, versus versus others. And, and I guess I'll start with, uh, with Jonathan, uh, but we'll work through all, all three here if we can. Thanks, Rich, and thanks for, for having me here today. Thanks, everyone, for, uh, for attending. So um, I think to, to, to understand the differentiation that we bring, I think there are three key points that, that I would look at. One is our investors, second is our technology, and third is our people. Um, so if you look at our investors, we, we were founded by uh, nine financial firms uh, that, that really represent a diverse set of uh, industry participants. Um, initially raised $70 million. And then most recently, we did another fundraise where we raised an additional uh, one north of $65 million um, through, through, through the pandemic. So we're happy that we were able to get that done. Um, and we actually brought on even more strategics um, that really represent, that represent the, the, wide, uh, the wide, wider and broader industry. So we have representation from electronic market makers, we have representation from investment banks that represent institutional uh, institutional trading. Uh, we have retail brokers, and then now we also have um, buy side representation. So, what does that bring for us? First of all, in building our exchange, we uh, met with them many times and figured out what they are looking for in, the, in an exchange, and we've designed our exchange to meet their needs. Second of all, and 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 a, a big factor is the fact that they bring flow. So as you know, you have electronic market makers that, uh, can, you know, they trade uh, a good percentage of their flow is proprietary, so they can control where they move the flow. So that's really a good start in terms of having interesting liquidity on our platform. Um, but then the rest of the people really need, uh, they're, they're trading on behalf of clients, and so they have best X obligations. So just because they're investors doesn't mean that, that they're necessarily going to move flow to us. Um, so what does that mean? We need to have great technology, and we need to have great execution quality. Um, so that takes me to the second point, which is which is our ability to to build an exchange today using the latest technology is a real advantage. Not that the other exchanges don't have great technology, and, and I think it was proven true through this through the increased volatility and through this crisis. Um, but the fact is that building from scratch today gives us an advantage. Um, there are there are a myriad of ways that I could explain that. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it to a couple because uh, it does get rather technical in terms of, of what the advantages are. But one would be if you look at you know the the data platform that we built, we built data centric um, understanding how to leverage the cloud and cloud techniques. 
Um, and what does that mean really? Uh, you know, if you build an application, if you build an application, then you just move it to the cloud. You don't really get the advantages of cost savings or, um, or easy distribution. Whereas us knowing how to build to the cloud, we get that. Um, and that will manifest itself. One example is um, we'll have a golden source of truth. So when we're looking at um, activity on our exchange and we're looking at it with clients and a client needs to see what's going on, our clients and our operations teams are going to be looking at exactly the same data. And that, I think, will really be a differentiator for the market. A second area from a technology perspective um, that, that I feel like we, we really will differentiate is our ability to, to leverage what, what's become uh, the ability to put more, more storage, more network, more compute in a much more condensed space. So we're actually going to run our exchange in one rack. Um, if you look at other exchanges, they're typically running in 10, 12, 15 racks. Because of the ability to, to condense all this together, we're putting 76 servers in one rack and the whole exchange runs in one rack. And what does that mean? Um, first of all, it's a, it's a much uh, lower cost footprint and that savings we, we will be able to pass on to, to investors. Second of all, if you're running across multiple racks, you have multiple points of failure. So hopefully we'll, we'll have less points of, less opportunity for points of failure. And then also you have less hops throughout our exchange. So we're going to be able to provide a more deterministic, a more consistent experience for clients when, they, when they're, when they're um, trading on our exchange. And then finally, our people, um, we've hired, we've decided uh, with this startup to, to hire experienced people. A lot of our folks have worked either at other exchanges or other large brokerage firms and have a lot of experience having designed and, and built and supported these applications. And I think you put that together with, with the, the experience from our investors and what they're looking for with the latest technology and experienced people. And you can really deliver, you know, I'm really excited to see what we're going to be able to deliver uh, on, on day one. Thanks, John. Uh, Zoran, uh, I don't think people know a lot about the long-term stock exchange and people, you definitely, uh, what do you call it, generated some interest. So we'd love to hear what, uh, what the basics are and, and what the plans are for the LTSE. Yeah, uh, thanks Rich and, uh, and um, thanks, the, thanks for joining these other innovative panelists. I appreciate sharing the, the floor with them. Um, and I also just want to say I hope uh, all that are listening in here, and you know this is a interesting situation to do this over a, a Zoom. Um, you know, John and I were just talking about the breakfast was the best breakfast we've ever had before uh, before one of these panels. So I appreciate that, and I hope that everyone is uh, you know uh, safe and, and healthy during these uh, um, you know volatile times. Um, so you know, long-term stock exchange. You know, what we're really trying to do here is we're we're, we're building. Um, uh, the long-term stock, stock exchange to offer companies and investors who share a long-term vision, a public market option that supports their coming together for mutual benefit. That's like, in a nutshell, what we're, what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, we're aligning ourselves with the next generation of leaders of companies who actually aim to build a you know, sustainable business and, and create value over time uh, while doing right by their stakeholders and strengthening society. So they want a financial infrastructure that actually supports that vision. And until now, there hasn't been any. And that's at the root of what we're trying to build here at the Long-Term Stock Exchange. So what differentiates us versus the other exchanges and, and, and my colleagues here is, you know, to list on the Long-Term Stock Exchange is where our focus is, is listing. Um, companies will be required to adapt certain policies that have been approved uh, by the SEC late last year um, that comply with five long-term principles. Um, those principles cover things like stakeholders, strategy, compensation, and engaging both directors and long-term shareholders. 
by requiring companies to make these um, long-term strategies and making them public and part of the listing standards, these practices and plans, um, it allows investors to have a different view of the company, right? Um, this, these listing standards, and because they're part of the exchange, also make it enforceable, right? Um, this is in contrast to some of the other public standards that we see out there. Um, our hopes are, and, and, and some of the feedback that we get, is that it decreases volatility and risk for long-term investors um, by offering them a more holistic understanding of how companies are governed to deliver long-term value. It also provides support for the ability of companies to qualify the, for the growing share of capital allocated to companies that display positive environment, social, and, and governance factors. We're calling it ESG. There are other names for it as well, but this is a way of signaling that, um, that, that, uh, that relationship that they want with their investors. It also improves kind of like the, the ability of investors to identify companies that have resilience to withstand the shocks and shifts that come over time, right? So we're not deterministic over the long term as a society, and I think we're living through that right now. Um, so it allows companies, you know, to, 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 to take that into account, right, by incorporating this type of governance and making it public, right, via these long-term listing standards that are being governed by the exchange as well, right, making sure and they're enforcing that they're there that gives investors that comfort um, to really understand what a company is trying to do. Um, it also allows companies to make promises that employees and other stakeholders can take seriously, right? So, you know, we can strengthen inclusivity. We can, we can strengthen a sense of purpose that allows stakeholders to become stronger advocates for the company over a long run, right? So the idea here is that we don't think that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're creating something that everyone has to meet us, uh, where everyone has to meet us, we're trying to create something that everyone is asking for, right? So it's part of our journey. So we got approved last May. We're the earliest exchange to, to, to get the new exchange to get approved. Um, but it's been a long journey to, you know, to get there and um, get all the pieces in play to, to go live. And uh, just for the, the sake of our audience, that uh, uh, Zoran uh, was uh, in technology at the NASDAQ. So he's, he's worked with a technology background uh, building, uh, you know, supply, uh, assisting uh, on the operations prior. So this is yeah. operating exchange isn't totally uh, a new thing to him. Yeah, uh, it, I, I found myself, if anybody noticed, I was nodding the entire time John was talking because I knew exactly what he was talking about. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan there. So um, trying to do similar things here as well. So, so uh, new to at least our conference, but not, not new to me, is an old acquaintance, uh, Brian Conroy, the CEO of Liquinet. So Brian, just for the audience, uh, you know, experienced uh, better in the industry from Fidelity as well as, uh, uh, I guess, formerly Point72, uh, formerly SAC. So uh, Brian, I, if you could just briefly, I think most of us uh, of the audience know uh, Liquinet, but just briefly go through uh, sort of the model, but really where you're heading you know, and why you were brought in to sort of take leadership uh, at this time. Yeah, thanks, Rich. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it's been a, a pleasure to, you know, be a, a friend of yours for all this time. And I really appreciate you uh, having me and, and me representing Liquinet here today. Um, yeah, no, so I think, you know, most people know that, you know, Seth Maron started Liquinet 20 years ago to, um, you know, match large blocks of liquidity between buy-side organizations to increase, um you know, the opportunity to trade large blocks, but also to keep information leakage low. And he, he was very successful in doing that. And over, the, over time, 
you know, the firm has evolved to a global firm that is really an electronic brokerage firm that has cross asset. You know, and, and the key, I think, focus is, uh, you know, different than the other panelists, we're not an exchange, right? You know, and our, our focus isn't on professional traders to, you know, have an efficient exchange as John was, talk, John was talking about, or, you know, the, the actual companies and the, you know, long-term ESG stuff that, that Zorn was talking about, which I think is fascinating. You know, we're really focused on, you know, institutional investors and hedge funds, and it's across asset classes and it's global. And we refer to ourselves now as a global investment network. Um, so what started as a innovative disruptor in the equity space is now taking advantage of the fact that in our equity business, we have over 1,100 buy-side firms connected globally. Um, in our fixed income business, we have over 450, 48 of the, of the top 50 uh, uh, buy-side clients in fixed income. Um, and in, as you know, Rich, we've started a, uh, a business we call uh, IA, which is Institutional Analy uh, uh, Investor Analytics, and that <clears throat> is based on uh, the, the roll-up of a few businesses that we purchased over the last few years, uh, those that have natural language processing, uh, research exchange, uh, and, and OTAS, which is a, a um, trading analytics business. And, and putting that all together, what that means is, you know, again, using our network, you know, we've got connectivity to over a thousand buy-side organizations that are consuming research through this platform and over 400 uh, of the world's largest research providers, of which your firm is one, um, that, they, that provide research to the system. <clears throat> so, you know, we think the big opportunities here um, are not necessarily in the equity world, because the U.S. equity market is probably one of the most efficient in the world, and we could argue it's expensive, is it this, is it that, but relative to what's happening, certainly in the rest of the world in equities, it's incredibly efficient. But the other asset classes and information exchange is lags behind. You know, 20% of the credit market is... Uh, automated, right, uh, using technology, uh, you know, so we, we see a huge paradigm shift. And one of the things that attracted me to LiquidNet about a year and a half ago was having overseen a, a New York Stock Exchange operation in the 90s and, and having been one of the first firms to bring electronic connectivity to the floor, you know, we thought we were pretty clever. What we didn't realize was that was just an electronification of an existing workflow and that the paradigm shift was to occur in the early 2000s. And you know, we think we're in that paradigm shift opportunity in both the credit markets and the information exchange because margins are getting squeezed. People need efficiency. And, and, and if we look at the history of the equity business, you know, we see a huge opportunity to help investors in the, uh, the credit space and, and the uh, information uh, exchange using artificial intelligence, natural language processing, uh, and the network that we bought through Research Exchange. So we're very excited about, you know, the future and, and quite frankly, think that the trends of margin compression uh, are, are, uh, will benefit from this type of utility with intelligence. So uh, that leads me to my point uh, next, but uh, you talked about really what this panel is about, is, I believe, is building a network. Uh, when, and then, you know, Brian, frankly asked me like why do you have me on the panel because it's an exchange panel it isn't you know that's the title but it's really about building a network which each is doing it differently and we certainly have seen exchanges like ICE think about potential expansion of their exchange network so that's the common thread that I saw amongst the group I guess 
one question, and we'll go back to equities at least for a little bit. You've seen tremendous volume during this pandemic period. I guess it's driven a lot by, from what I understand, from retail. So I guess, Brian, you're an institutional platform. Could you confirm that the volume, at least now, is probably more back to normalized levels, whereas what we print in total is 10 billion plus shares a day. So we're assuming that that gap is probably retail or off exchange volume. That's correct. And if you look at the industry statistics, obviously the macro volumes raised to historic levels a few months back. And while they're still elevated, what we're seeing and what we're getting from the industry is that, in fact, the institutional volumes have gone back to kind of pre-March, April levels, more than last year, but say, certainly less than what we were seeing. So there's been a mean reversion for sure. And if this is retail or what we will call trade reporting for TRF type volume, in a world where Memex was up and running, Jonathan, would there be a benefit because you have a couple of the retail internalizers as part owners? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is we're not, we're really focused on building an exchange for all. And just because some of the biggest wholesalers and retail brokers are investors, we're not specifically targeting towards their flow. I think generally speaking, the increased flow and the increased interest in equity markets is a good thing for all of us. I think, you know, and hopefully it continues. We'll see, you know, you'd imagine that the retail, some of that is the fact that people are home and have time to trade. Some of it is that there's no sports gambling, so they're probably trading in the markets instead of sports gambling. But hopefully the experience in the equity markets, you know, obviously combined with the zero commission has increased the retail trading. Hopefully that continues beyond, you know, as things settle and it seems to have continued, but as there's a return to work, you know, will we see those volumes stay where they are? I don't think we benefit more than other exchanges, you know, anyway, in a disproportionate manner, I think. But generally speaking, I think it's a positive for the industry. And I guess what was interesting when I talked to you, Zoran, trading volume wasn't even, you know, wasn't a main driver. You know, the goal was something, the main objective was something different for the long-term stock exchange, or correct me if I'm wrong. No, I mean, and that's true. I mean, the main responsibility an exchange has as a national securities exchange is one is oversight of their listed companies, and one is oversight of their members, right? Those that participate in that trade, right? And we have varying degrees, and there's certainly a lot of diversity in our 13 national securities exchanges, soon to be 16 once we all go live, where everyone has kind of like a different view on that, right? So we have primary listing markets, and we have markets that don't have any primary listings, right? So our view is mostly on the primary listing market side. The thing is, with an exchange, you kind of have to have both, right? You're not really, you can't define yourself as an exchange unless you're matching buyers and sellers, right? So the bare minimum entry point there is to be matching buyers and sellers, right? So if you look at what we introduced with our very simple market model, we stepped in with what we think is the bare minimum of what it means to be a uh, a, a national securities exchange, right? So we have a fully displayed market, no hidden liquidity, right? Brian can take care of that hidden liquidity on his platforms, if you will, right? Um, you know, we also step in with kind of like the same tone of, of Jonathan and trying to keep it very simple and 
and keep the cost low and pass that cost ac uh, across back to the to member um, uh, to the member community. So we charge a membership fee just to kind of cover all of our regulatory costs, but we're not charging transaction fees. There is no, we don't even have a proprietary market data fee, right? So this is kind of like an ode to the simplicity that a lot of people have been asking for, and we're looking forward to experiment with the rest of the market around it. You're gonna, it's gonna be the un, un exchange. <laughs> uh, well, or, or maybe more truthful to the Exchange Act. Who knows, right? I guess we'll find that out as a community, right? We're not trying to, we're not trying to, you know, pick a battle here, right? We think that, you know, choice is the most important thing, the free market aspect of, of, of trading, the, the, the democratic aspects of this trading. We have 55, I think the number's 55 today. I don't know, sometimes I hear 30, sometimes I hear 50. There's a lot of places where people can choose to trade equities, and I think that's great for our markets. And if you look at any statistic over the past 20 years, it's, it's brilliant what we've accomplished here. So, I mean, you know, we're not trying to to, to, to pick at that, if you will, right? Uh, but we're certainly there as another option in a different way. You know, it was very, it's very easy to copy NASDAQ. It's very easy to copy IEX. It's tried, it's been done before, right? Uh, but we, you know, that, there's a lot of complexity and costs that come with that. And like, we just, that's not where our core focus is. Our core focus is on the companies, the founders, the people, the, uh, the employees and the, and the stakeholders. Understood. Uh, this is more equity uh, centric again, but the SEC has uh, proposed, well, they just did some governance rules in regards to market data and uh, the, the SIPs. Uh, I guess my question that really ties everybody, and I think I know some of the answers, but had, has the equity market data pricing yet out of hand? Has it been, in your mind, is it really, was there a necessity for change to it? And whether it be from the, institutional side, Brian, or uh, I know Memex has a different sort of uh, strategy when it comes to market data, uh, but I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, sort of the opposite side of, you know, from where, where you're coming from versus the, the exact, exact exchange, you know, you're coming down hotter on us angle. Brian? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think the SEC's onto something, but it, it all comes down to, look, whether it's the fees that the exchanges are, are, are charging or, you know, fees across our industry because of, um, you know, the, the efficiency of the market, because of the maturity of the market, you know, there's just a natural drive to lower fees in general, right? So, you know, I think it's the right thing for the SEC to, you know, question to ask. And, and as I think the panelists are more uh, attuned to this as exchanges than I am, and certainly Jonathan, and, you know, given the focus of MEMAX and why it was founded, um, but, you know, we're seeing fee compressions across the board, and that's just another example. So it makes sense for the SEC to ask the question. And Jonathan, you want to enlighten people on your uh, market data sort of strategy? Yeah, and, and I'll say, look, you know, I come from my background as running a, an institutional broker-dealer. The fee compression, the, the pressure on fees is across the board, across the whole industry. It's, you know, it's 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 because of technology it's because of the move from active to passive there's a lot of pressures on fees across the board and i think the frustration from and one of the reasons we have great support beyond just our investors but across the whole member bases there's just there's so much frustration in the industry when costs are are going lower and 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 market data and connectivity fees have not have not come down in fact they continue to rise so Obviously, that's a, a big reason why we were, were formed. And really, our, our goal here is just to, to, to be an example, um, to show the industry, to, to create a, a platform that is lower cost, um, but 
can accomplish some of the same things that the other big exchanges are accomplishing um, on the on the trading side. Um, and then to try to try to be an example around how uh, providing data can be democratized, like providing data in the cloud should lower should make it easier for people to access and should lower costs for people accessing it. Um, those are examples of how we can show the industry how costs can be lowered. I can't, we're not gonna be able to pressure fees. I can't force NASDAQ or New York to change their fees. But what we can do is be an example for the regulators, be an example for, the, for our clients to use that and say, look, um, this is this is this is how this is how data should be could be charged for. This is how connectivity could be charged for. I do think that the efforts that the the regulators are making are are, are the right direction. You know, trying to focus on SIP governance is a really important thing. I mean, that's at the core of of fixing the problem is getting the governance right, um, and then trying to to make the SIP and the direct feeds equal to us is 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 really important. And we put that in our in our in our comment letter that um, why there needs to be, we, you know, we don't believe there needs to be two tiers of, of data. Um, the data should be provided and then people that are providing the data can create products. If someone just needs top of book, then they consume top of book. If someone needs five levels of depth, that's what they should take. If they need everything, um, including regulatory data, that's what they should get. And so that's, you know, our, our, our mandate really is to help pressure fees, but it's, it's also about just the democratization of the offering of, of, of market data. And that actually will feed into keeping retail and keeping more people involved in trading. The more people that get market data, the more people that trade, the more vibrant our equity markets will be. Uh, unfortunately, guys, uh, we're gonna do the time, need to wrap up, um, but I think we accomplished our mission of uh, giving people a view of what, what I would call unique uh, networks, let's call, uh, call it, uh, whether it be just the buy, you know, institutional buy side, uh, whether it's a network like Jonathan's created with some unique ownership, uh, and simplicity and a unique strategy in the, in the case of the long-term stock exchange. So I apologize for the little bit late start, but uh, I know investors are interested in learning more about all three of your platforms. So uh, thank you uh, for that. Uh, with that, that will end this panel. I thank Brian and Jonathan and Zoran. Uh, our next panel is uh, the NASDAQ. And uh, it will start at in just in a short one or two minutes. Thank you, uh, and we'll wrap from there. Thanks, Brian. Johnny. Be safe, Rich. Be safe. Be safe. Thanks, Rich. Be safe.